0: Hello and welcome to VoiceBox, your weekly guide to singing and the best of the vocal music scene on public radio and podcast. I'm your host, Chloe Veltman. Thanks for joining me. Tonight, we're going primal. We're talking about screaming. In many ways, it's the most natural of all human sounds. It's the first thing most of us do when we enter this world, and it's also sometimes one of the last things that happens to us as we exit. So it's no surprise that screaming, though aggressive on the eardrums, plays an integral role in certain kinds of music like punk and heavy metal. Long, loud, piercing cries and yelps even crop up in parts of our vocal music culture where we wouldn't necessarily expect to find them, like in grand opera or Finnish choral singing, for instance. <laughs> Renata Tobaldi in a shocking moment from Puccini's Tosca. If these noises sound so aggressive and ugly, why do we want to hear them? And how do vocalists who regularly use screaming and shouting as a technique in their work manage to do these things without hemorrhaging from the throat? That's what we're going to explore on tonight's show. And to that end, I'm lucky to be joined by some fantastic guests. I'm here in the studio with Steve Zetro-Souza, a prodigious metal vocalist. Steve was the lead singer for the wildly popular thrash metal bands Legacy, later known as Testament, and Exodus. And today, Steve is one of the two front men, along with Chuck Billy, of the band Dublin Death Patrol, and also sings with the thrash metal bands Tenet and Hatriot. Hi, Steve. Thanks for being here.
1: Hi, Chloe. How are you?
0: Very well, thank you. Glad to have you in the studio with Good me. Good to be here. And I'm also in the studio with Sarah Schneider, a frequent Guest on VoiceBox. Sarah is a voice speech pathologist based at the University of California, San Francisco's Voice and Swallowing Center, and she's evaluated and helped to rehabilitate several screamers over the years. She's a member of the American Speech Language Hearing Association. A warm welcome back to VoiceBox, Sarah. Thanks, Chloe. I'm glad to be here. We're also connecting by phone with Melissa Cross, a renowned vocal coach based in New York who specialises in working with singers who use their voices in extreme ways. Teaching rock stars how to scream effectively and safely has earned Melissa the moniker the Queen of Scream. Among her high-profile clients are Corey Taylor, the lead vocalist of Slipknot and Stone Sour, Randy Blythe of Lamb of God and Machine Head's Robert Flynn. She's the creator of the Zen of Screaming DVDs series, which has sold more than 50,000 copies to date. Hi there Melissa thanks for calling in on the hoof. Nice to be here great Well so first of all a question why why is screaming part of our musical vocabulary I mean given how unpleasant it often is what purpose does it serve?
1: Well, for heavy metal, I, I, I mean, it's just it is heavy metal. There's so much to it. I mean, it's the music already is very much aggressive. It's just a part of it, you know. It's just the aggression of it. it it's loud. It's held long. It, it it's to the point. Mm-hmm. And and to me, that's what I, when when usually if I'm laying, laying a scream out, it's I'm trying to make a point with that scream.
0: hmm hmm Well, it strikes me that there's a blurred line between singing and screaming. How would you distinguish between the two ways of using the voice that question's open to all of you melissa
2: well i i think that um for uh, uh, not until the at the earliest maybe the late 80s um screaming usually had in a musical sense had an, an a pitch mm-hmm. that accompanied it in other words you're talking early, you know like earlier metal bands you know um like um you know Sabbath and uh, you know Ronnie James Dio and all Rob
1: Halford yeah. as well I know what you're saying I agree with you hundred percent they sang
2: it had a, it had a note with it correct and usually the distortion the vocal distortion also accompanied a, a musical note
1: mm-hmm.
3: and
2: somewhere as you know speed metal came in and thrash started to become popular I think that underground movement was you know kids that just needed it harder faster louder and it, it started out as kind of a joke, um, and then people started to take it very seriously, um, and it right. became popular. Mm-hmm. And so when things become popular, you have to, it's a business, and you've got to keep the business going.
3: Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it
2: can be harder for some artists than others to maintain vocal stamina with what's called for with this non-musical screaming.
0: Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. Well, so. I mean, I, I, um, I think it's often even hard to tell really whether something's a scream or a sing or what category it falls into. I mean, I have this one clip I'd like to play now. It's, it's a high-pitched vocal sound and to my ear, it could fall into either category. It comes from Palestine. <coughs> what did you make of that? What's going on with the voice there in that allulation? <laughs> do you call it singing or screaming?
2: Well, uh, I guess it's the, the eye of the, or the ear of the beholder.
1: <laughs> I'd say that was Definitely singing to was me. Definitely
2: there was a pitch there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That was a note that I could identify on a piano. So that's yeah. a pitch. They oh. are cycles per second. But when you're talking screaming without the pitch, the vibration is not regular. It's chaotic. It's called chaos, by the way. Mm-hmm. And um And it's like a, it sounds more like white noise or, or patterned pink noise, like, you know, a pressure toilet, you know, same for that you know there's no note to it you cannot identify a pitch because there isn't one because there's no identifiable cycles per second on an ongoing basis that you can define it Uh no A or A flat or B flat so I could hear a pitch in that last thing very interesting sound though
0: yeah I know it's a really Uh amazing ululation. Steve maybe could could you demo for us maybe like what what Melissa was talking about just now uh, without like a, a scream that has no pitch in that way
1: well um, I, um, I think like she said most screams don't have a mm-hmm. pitch they just come from uh, you. like she says you're not going to get on a piano yeah, yeah. and go for ding, sure. ding I just think it might be
0: nice uh, to compare with that ululation, just to hear just like a couple of seconds of what, what that would sound like
1: you want me to scream for you Chloe yeah okay no, but not straight into the <laughs> mic
0: okay Seth, Seth says <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, now, you know, see, there was some, there was parts of that that had a pitch to it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And that's because when Steve screamed just now, he was using, the, the, you know, a great deal of distortion, but there was also his true vocal folds were actually vibrating as well. So you, I could find, if I, I could go to the piano and find that note. And uh-huh. I bet, I know how you, like, you're a great singer, Steve, So I know you do, you know, have melodic stuff. Your yes. scream is very melodic. It's always been pitch. And it's, uh, it goes in and out of that, you know, and that's, that's actually a desired thing. Mm-hmm. It's, a, um, it's a, a different mechanism, though, when you have, like, the pitch, um, the true chords vibrating, and then you close the upper pharynx even mm-hmm. more, like up in the false chord area, and make distortions. I mean, that stuff has been going on since... Uh, Um, Louis Armstrong and Jimmy Durante and, um, you know, Dio, Zeppelin, you know, Guns N' Roses. I mean, that was going on for the longest time. Yeah. And no one took a look at it. You know, No one said, well, what's going on there? No one really tried to figure it out. Um, And I think it's really interesting that now that we have this, like, sort of, like, there's no, you can't find a note in that.
0: Yeah. It
2: sounds like,
0: um, someone dying. <laughs> yeah, it does. Like a final a gasp. A f- yeah, death, a death rattle or something. She
1: just did Randy Blythe. That was straight up Randy Blythe, which she just did. <laughs> Randy, Rand- that's Randy's high high. In fact, I just seen the the Lamb of God concert, and yeah, that's straight up Randy Blythe right there. You got him. Yeah, that's Randy. That's
2: Randy's high, but he has that.
1: He, d- he does that so that well. You. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, wow, well, it's frightening hearing So now I know of. where he learned that at. <laughs> <laughs> Melissa taught him. OK, all right. So question for you, Sarah. So from a physiological perspective and very broadly, can you summarize what's happening in the body to produce these kinds of noises? I mean, I know it's different for every kind of scream. It's going to be slightly different, but maybe you could just give us a summary at this point and we'll get into the details later. I think so.
4: If we're talking about sort of a pitchless scream mm-hmm. versus something that has more pitch in it. When there is is less identifiable pitch or no identifiable pitch, the vocal folds are vibrating aperiodically mm-hmm. with probably... Um, With minimal amounts of airflow, I don't know if it's ever been specifically measured that I'm aware of, but there are minimal amounts of airflow coming past the vocal folds, which is uh, which makes it vibrate aperiodically. Mm -hmm. And there's tension at the level of the vocal folds probably to varying degrees depending on who's doing it. And with more pitch, there's more vocal fold vibration or more periodic vibration. And noise can be created in the sound based on the aperiodic vibration or periodic vibration and then the shaping of the tissues above the vocal fol- folds like the false vocal folds like Melissa referenced or the, um, the pharynx, the back of the tongue, the soft palate. We can shape our tongue, teeth, and lips to help us uh, modulate sound or make more noise. So it's shaped in the resonating cavity.
1: The ring. I felt it's going to be the rain
2: Some grabbed a hold of me, daddy
0: Felt to me, honey, or oh, Like a pony, yeah You know me, baby I
3: mean? said it's way too heavy
0: If you've just joined us, welcome. I'm Chloe Veltman and this is Voicebox, Public Radio's weekly series about the human voice. Voicebox is available as a free weekly podcast on iTunes and at voicebox-media.org. And to find out more about our series, including how to make a much-needed donation to support our project, which is independently produced and non-profit, please visit voicebox-media.org. Donating to Voicebox is a cinch through our online PayPal link. On tonight's show about screaming, I'm here in the studio with metal singer Steve Zetro souza and voice speech pathologist Sarah Schneider. We're also joined on the phone from New York by Melissa Cross, a vocal coach who specialises in working with some of the heavy rock music industry's most famous vocalists. We just heard Janis Joplin performing live in Germany. The track was "Ball and Chain. Steve let me turn to you for a bit you you're someone who's been using your voice in extreme ways for decades how old were you when you first started your musical career
1: Um, actually first started singing in a band when I was 18
0: Mm hmm and and how did you become a metal singer
1: I think I was always a metal singer since you were a baby right well since I was a baby (laughs) I think I bought my my father bought me my first uh, hard rock album in uh, 1972, which was Zeppelin four. I was eight years old at uh-huh. that time. So I always listened to what was harder and what was heavier, and I always imitated Plant, I imitated Alice Cooper, I imitated Bon Scott. So I guess in the early 70s, that was heavy metal of the time. So when I became old enough to start my own band, I just knew that that was the type of stuff, the heavier types of music, UFO, Ted Nugent rainbow deep purple and then the 80s came in and it was iron maiden and judas priest and so i was going to take some of that but i liked punk music too so Mm -hmm. i just felt that i was that was the direction it was always going to be something raw and something hard
0: well let's hear you in action now here you are here's our guest steve zetto souza performing shroud of urine for exodus oh my Tonight we're exploring screamers and uh, we just heard one of tonight's esteemed guests, Steve Souza, performing Shroud of Urine as lead singer with the popular 80s thrash metal band Exodus. Also joining me in the studio is voice speech pathologist Sarah Schneider and we have vocal coach Melissa Cross on the phone with us from New York. Steve, that was an intense track. Can you talk us through how you approached the screaming in that song, uh, Shroud of Urine, um, and... Uh, yeah, tell us about that.
1: I'm making a statement that I really want you to hear. So to come across, I'm going to scream, kind of shout scream at you. It's not a hold, sh- holding, shrieking scream. It's kind of, I'm saying words as I'm screaming it to you. And while I'm doing that, I know that I have to do four lines that are really high screams. And I have to stay in that register. So I'm thinking, mouth. Thinking jaw placement. I'm thinking how much pressure I need in my chest. I'm thinking how long I have to hold each scream. I'm thinking of what part of my voice, because I look at it from my eyes. It's either the back or the front. Mm-hmm. Melissa was explaining it earlier, and she has all the technicals, but I have my own way to explain it, and I know that I need to get <laughs> back in my voice farther than and and end up in front, and I need to have enough power mm-hmm. to do that. So, so it's a thought process when mm-hmm. I go to do it. I've got to stay wild and wired for 35 dates mm-hmm. or 36 mm-hmm. dates in a row. So you got to do that, and she'll tell you, Sleeping, eating correct, exercising, and keeping your head together is is going to make you um, successful on all those things.
0: So, Melissa, I've got a question for you. There are obviously tons of different ways that the human voice can create loud noises. I thought perhaps some um, you could talk us through some of the main types of scream that you work with your clients on perfecting.
2: Sure. Okay. So, fry is the is the one that is the one. Uh, it's much. I prefer this for adding musical notes, too, in and out. You know, screamers like Corey Taylor and um, uh, that go in and out of the melody in the same line, where it doesn't have, like, the, all, the, the verse is all screamed and the chorus is all anthemic notes. But basically, he goes in and out of screaming and singing, you know, very dynamically in and out. So the, the fry scream is something that really... You can turn on the dime with it. It has a, a, it's very light on its feet.
0: Okay, so what about death? Death scream.
2: Okay, well, the death metal thing, you know, that's a kind of Swedish um, Gothenburg. um, The lyrics tend to be about, you know, maggots and, you know, um, death and dying and a lot of um, sort of B-horror movie kind of lyrics. And it has, that sound is more of the Cookie Monster kind (laughs) of, uh, you know, it sounds like barking. It's like, (laughs) it has that barking, like the air is actually blowing the chords apart so it sounds like air because it is air. the false chord scream that is what that uh, Steve does a lot of that but it has a pitch to it but it also has a massive amount of distortion uh-huh. to it as well so and that is louder. I take the wings of a man not yet in his grave. But you
1: so far,
0: Thank you for explaining all of that. Steve, are there any limitations to the kind of screams that you feel comfortable with producing?
1: I can't do the metalcore. I can't do that, the Cookie Monster thing. I cannot do that. Uh-huh. And, 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 and and if I try, because <laughs> there was a couple of times it's like a track on the new record where I do it for like two lines and it just so doesn't sound natural coming from uh-huh. me. And people ask me all the time, you got to do that more, man. You got to do that more, but I honestly I have to work to do that one uh-huh. than I do to do, do the other ones that I do. So, I try not to play in the backyards that I can't uh swing the bat too hard you know
0: yeah probably probably (laughs) keeps you healthy exactly safe so i'd love to hear from a few great screamers from the world of metal now people that you would admire steve that we talked about i thought we could hear first of all from a couple of old timers Bon scott from acdc and lemmy from motorhead and then we can listen to a couple of the newer guys brian fair of shadows fall and machine heads robert flynn so Guess. Can you tell us a little bit about what you what you like about these singers and what you hear in their voices, Steve?
1: Lemmy, obviously, Lemmy is just a complete. Um his voice, his talking voice, is basically his singing voice, and it's just so raw. And it sounds like the guy smokes like three packs. And I know I've toured with Motorhead a few times, so and he does smoke three packs of cigarettes yeah. a day. <laughs> but uh, but uh, exactly. I-, I love that tone that he has. And with Bon, I love the 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 pinchy kind of you know screams that Bon did. And with Brian, I love the fact that he does Cookie Monster, he does the high screams, but then he sings really well. And that's what I like about Rob, too. Rob pulls off singing like... And he'll come in and just start singing so pretty and so subtle, and I would be afraid to do that, honestly. You know, and you just he...
0: did it, Stevie. You did <laughs>
1: I was just trying to. I was just you imitating it. You did
0: try. You did all of them perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's listen to those guys now. Small. I'm Chloe Veltman and this is Voicebox, Public Radio's weekly series about the human voice. The tracks we just heard were sung respectively by metal artists Bon Scott of ACDC, Lemmy from Motorhead... Brian Fair of Shadows 4 and Rob Flynn from Machine Head. For full playlist information, please visit voicebox-media.org. Rob Flynn is one of the vocalists whom you've worked with, Melissa. Um, You have an impressive roster of heavy-duty singers on your books. How did you come to be known as the Queen of Scream among vocal coaches? Uh,
2: The Queen of Scream. I don't know who made that up. I didn't make it up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But how did you get there?
2: I, I Well, it just happened that Some producer that was a friend of mine Was recording these bands in his basement mm-hmm. And they weren't able to get through A uh, a show without You know, coughing up blood And he asked me to, you know Put my um, head Put my thinking cap on and figure out a way to do it And I didn't say no But it just so happened that those bands Were the beginnings of Killswitch and Gage and uh, All That Remains and uh Shadows Fall and uh, they. I I grew up with them and Mm -hmm. they told their friends and I couldn't be embarrassed and not know what I was doing so I had to work on it and Mm -hmm. I worked on it and then everybody's friends came and you know it's a small little community the metal community Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden you know 10 years later they're all my clients (laughs) and I've been working with the screen you know like a student um, you know Studying it, fascinated by it, and totally in love with everybody that I work with. Mm-hmm. Totally involved. I love it. I love these people. I love this music. You and know?
0: you're, But you're a classically trained singer by background, right?
2: Yes, mm-hmm. I am. A classically trained vocalist. But I also was in a punk band the first time around. So, you know, I was studying my opera and doing my art songs. But on the other side, I was, you know... Screaming in a much different way With Mm -hmm. a pitch At CBGB (laughs) In Ah, New York So, you know, in the late 70s I was in, you know, Los Angeles Doing, you know um, uh, You know, with X And um, and opened up for bands like Blasters and, you know um, The text tones, the plugs Black Flag. Way before Henry Rollins I mean, that was my scene You know, I was a punk Mm -hmm. But I the, the classical stuff didn't make any sense,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, so I just threw it all out the window, and here I am with the great job that I wrote.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it does seem fantastic. Um, so, so I'm interested in hearing both from Sarah and and from Melissa. Both of you, what state the clients, the students, the clients, the patients, whatever you want to call them, are in when they when they typically arrive on your doorstep? I imagine that is perhaps a little different for both of you. Sarah, do you want to answer that question first? So often
4: when um, patients what, when patients come to see us, they're sort of in crisis management mode and it's sort of maybe they've lost their voice or they're in the middle of, re- in, in the recording studio and they can't meet their vocal demand or they're mm. on tour and they're having trouble uh, or they've just survived the tour and are like, I just barely
0: got by by the skin of my teeth mm-hmm. and what about you melissa is that the similar state that the singers well, are arriving at your uh, studio
2: with i think that you know there's there's two there's two different well more than two but the basic client is is the one that really wants to be involved in it and has no idea how to get started and then there's mm-hmm. the people that are already well known that have you know messed themselves up on tour or continue to mess themselves up on tour so it. You know, they're really cutting it close, like just barely being able to finish
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, a tour. And that can be really, really bad. Because <laughs> once you lose it, you're chasing your tail like the rest of the tour. Uh-huh. You never can get it back because you don't have the time to do any vocal rest. And it, it's just really bad to, to, you know, push the envelope to the point where you you're chasing, you know, damage and trying to, you know compete with the swelling in your vocal folds and you're not being you just have to hit it harder Mm -hmm. and harder and harder Mm -hmm. to get the result and you just make it worse and worse it's a nightmare absolute nightmare
0: so melissa and sarah do you ever tell your clients to stop screaming is that ever a strategy absolutely not that's not an option Mm -hmm. so what do you do for someone who's making to
4: stop making their money that
2: kind of music yeah that's why they come to me because their teachers tell them that. Okay. And that's not an option. If you're making, you know, you have a mortgage to pay and yeah. you, you know, have established a lifestyle based on what you do and, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you, you know, the option to stop
0: what you do is not... Yeah, it's not know. on the cards. So, so then tell me, both of you, uh, talk me through a few of the things that you do to be able to get your patients and your students to be able to scream in a way that's not going to cause them to cough up blood. <laughs> so when, when a patient first presents to
4: our office, um, always we do an evaluation with one of our doctors and then one of our voice speech pathologists, and we take a look at the vocal folds to see exactly what's going on. Has there been a hemorrhage? Is there are there vocal fold lesions or irregularities? We sort of look at the state of the tissue and sort of see how things are looking, and then and then and. Also, what is what the patient's complaining of? Mm -hmm. And then we go from there to sort of come up with a plan. If there is something like a bleed on the vocal folds, um, the the person goes on. We put them on voice rest. We ask them if I mean, we basically tell them if you have a show, you're putting yourself at higher risk to 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 perform like this so we need to allow the blood to sort of reabsorb into the body and the best way to do that and avoid further injury is going on voice rest and then we work on sort of managing it from there. Should we, um, when do we start vocalizing? When can we resume performing? That sort of thing. Mm -hmm.
0: So it can take a number of months usually, the process?
4: I think it depends. If there's a hemorrhage, usually the recommended voice rest is about a week, and mm-hmm. then you come back in, we look at it, and then we sort of reevaluate based on the situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there's an impending tour, if there's something like that, or if the tour just ended, then we have time you know, yeah. to work and, and rehab. Mm-hmm. If we're sort of working under the gun, then maybe different, some different decisions
0: are made, and it's okay. a shorter period of time. What about you, Melissa?
2: I, I think that speech... Uh, uh Speech behavior modification is absolutely essential. Mm-hmm. I think most of my clients actually blow their voices out in between the sets, talking over mm-hmm. the music, getting drunk and going out to, you know, bars and things. So true. <laughs>
0: That's <laughs> totally <like> true. <laughs> <laughs> Look, a recognition from Steve over here. Because
4: <laughs> singing and speaking
0: are two branches of the same tree. So if we don't address both mm-hmm. patterns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Melissa. So then, then what, what kinds of things are you doing with your students?
2: Well, um, first of all, if there's, if there's, if I hear an injury, I send them to the doctor.
3: Mm-hmm. I
2: need to get a picture of what's going on, because there's no way that I can really work on self-awareness if, if the awareness is of an injury. I'm going to make an exception to this, because there are some singers um, that actually uh, their sound is predicated on their injury. Uh-huh. And so as long as they can order dinner and you know say, I love you, and they're not complaining... In, in in I I had to let go of seeking the perfect vocal folds idea. Uh-huh. Not opera, uh-huh. um, and so obviously an opera singer can't you know have these barnacles on their vocal folds. But there are some singers that their sound is. Um, and and what's unfortunate about having uh, that kind of a, a a sound is that when you have an injury, it can be difficult to manage it. Yeah. Because it could, it's like when you get sick and you have this, you know, chronic injury, it's it, 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 it just problematic. So you mm-hmm. have to teach them how to become aware of where they're at and what they can do and what mm-hmm. they can't do. Uh-huh. So I'm not saying everybody go out and blow out your vocal cords to get the scream, because that's not it. There is a way that you can learn to scream without hurting yourself, and it involves understanding
0: support. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, basically exercises that you would do with any singer or are there special things just for the metalheads?
2: You no, know, um, the uh, the exercises that I do are for everybody. Mm-hmm. It's just basic good training. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we get into the screaming thing, we talk about how you can make this screaming, these different screaming noises at a very low volume. Oh. And so doing it in a really clinical way, at a low volume, they become aware of how much less, they have to work to get that sound. Usually it's a question of them working too hard to get the
0: uh-huh. sound. But I, I imagine that for for some metal singers, it must be really weird to have to suddenly scream super quietly. Um, how easy is it for them to accept that as a way to well, improve?
2: They don't actually end up doing it quietly because when you're on the stage, the adrenaline and the band, there's no way that you could do it as quietly as the discovery process uh, is involved. It's not... Um, You know, it's about self awareness, doing it Mm -hmm. quietly. It's just understanding how little you have to do to make a certain sound and then let the microphone do the work
3: Mm -hmm. and
2: the proximity to the microphone do some of the work. But I'm not, I don't tell people to do it quietly. I just tell them not to think of it as loud.
0: Okay. (laughs) There's a difference. (laughs) Yes.
1: And an old lover's here to stay which she told you...
0: On Voicebox tonight, we're discussing the art of screaming as a musical technique. My guests in the studio are metal artist Steve Souza and voice speech pathologist Sarah Schneider. Vocal coach Melissa Cross is joining us on the phone from New York. I'm Chloe Veltman. If you aren't able to catch the show on air, don't worry. Simply visit voicebox-media.org or iTunes to download our weekly podcasts for free. Steve Tyler, the lead singer of Aerosmith, whose track Walk This Way, we just heard, is one of Hard Rock's most prolific singers. However, in 2006, he had to cut short a tour with his band because of emergency throat surgery. Basically, his voice couldn't handle the daily demands of extreme singing and it gave out. Um, Let me ask you, Steve. Uh, how has your voice fared over the years? Have you ever suffered from vocal fatigue, lost your voice? Well, you mentioned you had to, you'd lost your voice early on in your career or had to deal with more serious issues such as vocal nodes or legion, lesions? No, I never legions. had
1: that. I never had that and I'm surprised as a singer too because he's a well-established guy and he knows what to do yes. with his voice and he should know that on days of shows you're not supposed to talk all day long. You mm-hmm. can't do a ton of interviews drinking and smoking cigarettes and carrying on because again, if you're the headliner you're the last one of the night. Mm-hmm. You got up that morning at nine or ten o'clock. You've got twelve hours before you're even going to get on stage and perform. You got to take the steps mm-hmm. to take care if you're going to sing in that extreme. And that guy's doing forty-five dates, yeah. you know, on a, on a tour. And an, unlike a heavy metal tour, he gets days off. I've been to Europe and done thirty-five dates back to back. Wow, you know of this, and so mm-hmm. I feel my muscle gets stronger as I use it. Mm-hmm. And by the 35th date, I'm not. Vocally tired. I'm vocally stronger than I was from the first date.
0: Uh, so you're living very clean, are you? Yeah, and, very much so. Uh uh-huh. Okay. And have you have you had to adjust your lifestyle over the years, or have you always been, uh, you know, somebody who takes really good care of themselves?
1: No, I think in the last uh, probably you know eight years or so, since you know you turn forty or so, you start <laughs> exercising every day. You realise you're not you going to live right?
0: forever. Or?
1: Back on tour, back in the day, it used to be. Um, Whatever we could muster up backstage, uh, and to put in our face whatever it meant. Uh, uh, now it's like Denny's and hot chocolate after the show, you know. So <laughs> nobody's really I, I, in my in my world anyway. You know, I know that still there's still that carries on, but I, and and in meeting. You know, because I know Corey Taylor, and 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 knowing Rob, and 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 knowing um, Brian, and and these guys take care of themselves too. Mm-hmm. Corey's not Corey's not. Uh, he doesn't go out and get blasted and just crazy. He knows he's got to sing, especially the stuff he does with Stone Sour. So mm-hmm. uh, I I think those guys are well disciplined singers, and mm-hmm. and 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 being younger, because they're much younger than me, and, mm-hmm. and and they're they maybe have a lot more smarts to it now than i did right. at that time so are you, you know? saying
0: that back in the day in the 80s people took less good care of oh, themselves oh, than they do on. now yeah. just
1: look at any pictures of us in any <laughs> magazines from those days we all were lit like christmas trees <laughs> now I think, now, and uh i think that now it's made it's been you know everybody knows the bands from the 80s that's what they look like and that's what they ended up so Today, it's it's more known to take care of yeah. yourself. Mm-hmm. It really is. Yeah.
0: So you took singing lessons for five yes, years. Now, was that an unusual thing to do for a metal artist at the time I when you were I think at the time it?
1: because I started in 1988 and I uh. went till 1993 with a lady named Claudine Spent. And why and did she, you
0: decide to do that?
1: Um, Exodus, at the time, we were a pretty successful band and we had money. And I felt that why not work on my craft? If I'm going to do this for a living, mm-hmm. why not really learn how to do it, you know? <laughs> (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I figured I had nothing to do during the week. And it was great because she taught like Jonathan Cain and John Waite and Eddie Money. So I would pretty much make sure that my lesson was after like john kane or john wait and i would sit on the porch and just listen because to me those guys were great singers not metal singers they're rock singers mm-hmm. but still really great singers so i would go and listen to their lesson and i just felt that this is what i'm going to do for a living I, I mean, you know guitar player takes lessons a drummer will take lessons why and why not mm-hmm. so i did it
0: now did she inculcate in you uh, the necessity of doing warm-ups uh, she did, and I
1: know a lot of singers that do, Uh-huh. and I don't. I'll just go, no! Nah! I'm ready. Let's go. So I don't know if it's just maybe I'm, uh, I don't know, an, a, a rare instance in that, but Melissa, I do not warm up. I it's do okay. not.
0: It's okay. <laughs> I was expecting a fight. Is that all you're going to say to him, Melissa? Um, I'd say, you know, whatever works, if it works, then it's it don't fix it.
3: Govagoski, oh,
2: Oh,
0: This is Voicebox with me, Chloe Veltman, and that was the Mias Quoro Hutajat, which roughly translates as the Finnish Men's Shouting Choir. On tonight's show with guests Melissa Cross, Sarah Schneider and Steve Souza, we're looking at the art of screaming and how to do it healthily. The guys in the Finnish Men's Shouting Choir perform all of their songs in this aggressive manner. Um, I guess they're not singing exactly. There's a rhythm and a sort of cadence to what they're doing, however. And uh, as we've kind of been alluding to as the show has continued, the line between singing and and, uh, and screaming and speaking, all these things are very blurred. Um, and I think that's particularly true in genres like metal and rap. I'd love to hear from my guests in the studio and on the phone more about the rationale for working with people on speech as well as singing when they have to scream for a living.
4: So so maybe I can start. Yeah, um, sure, go, sir. So I think... Uh, even as a performer, a lot of people are speaking more than they sing, even if you are doing a, a two or three hour gig a night. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so really addressing the voice use patterns because you're using the sim- same muscle, same vocal fold muscles are vibrating and singing and speech. So if we address how you're using your speaking voice and you're not feeling tired or fatigued from that, then you're setting yourself up for easier singing or, or, or screaming.
0: Melissa, anything you want to add?
2: Yes, I find that when I can, um, uh, speaking with resonance is the easiest way to show my clients the nature of resonance and the feeling of resonance. Mm-hmm. So if it can be invoked in speaking, then you don't need to put on a different hat mm-hmm. thing.
3: Mm-hmm. Right.
2: Basically, if you are speaking in a resonant way mm-hmm. and not it, it, with the proper amount of Support and believe me, it's not a technical thing. It has to be an imaginative thing. You have to have what a golfer would call a swing Mm -hmm. thought—you know, that one thought that you have that makes the ball go in the hole. You have to have that kind of all-encompassing imagery for speaking with resonance. Mine's called over the pencil. Some people call it mask. Some people—it's basic, you know, invoking head resonance in everything that you do, not necessarily sounding head resonance.
4: You don't, don't exactly have to sound
0: way. affected, right? <laughs> <laughs> right?
2: Right?
0: You don't have to sound affected, is what Sarah said.
2: Oh, no, you, it, doesn't, it, it, it doesn't have to... It's not about a sound. It's the way that you approach it. It's mm-hmm. placement. Mm-hmm. But it has to be an imaginative thing. And, for instance, if I have a, someone who's been doing Broadway, mm-hmm. an old Broadway, and they want to do, a, you know, a different... They want to sing metal. They have to get that, that you know, affectation out of their voice, they have to get that training thing out, mm-hmm. right? So they have to take the good parts of good vocal training and keep it in there so they don't throw it out the window mm-hmm. I agree. Mm-hmm. I mean, a voice is a voice. I and agree. Mm-hmm. You know, whether you sing metal or country or, or rap or whatever, mm-hmm. it's still a voice. Mm-hmm. And it operates, you know, it operates like a voice. Right. So you need to have the resonance there no matter what you do. Well, and yeah- speaking is the best way to teach it.
0: Right. Well, now, as we've been talking about throughout the show and, you know, we just lighted upon it just here. Screaming isn't just for metalheads. I mean, a voice is a voice and it should be flexible and do all kinds of things. So singers yeah. working across many different musical idioms incorporate similarly extreme vocal techniques into their work. The Finnish Men's Shouting Choir is just one example. And I thought we could listen to a few more now. So first, opera. We're going to hear Waltraud Meyer performing a moment from Wagner's Parsifal, gausama Fürst du im Herzen. And then we'll head to the world of 1960s experimental music, And here, uh, a fraction of a performance by Ensemble Musique Vivante of Luciano Berrio's work for chamber orchestra, chorus, actors, and tape. It's called Labyrinthus II. And then we move to Kitka, a group which specialises in performing the music inspired by Eastern Europe and the Caucasus. The track is entitled Sirens and it comes from the ensemble's Resalka Cycle Songs Between the Worlds album. And finally to the world of blues and we'll hear Screamin' Jay Hawkins with his spine tingling rendition of I Put a Spell on You. This is Voice Box and I'm Chloe Veltman. I'm in the studio with voice speech pathologist Sarah Schneider and metal singer Steve Souza. Melissa Cross, a New York-based vocal coach, is joining us on the phone. We just heard from four different artists who employ screaming beyond the world of metal, the genre that we've spent most of our time focusing on this past hour. They were, in order, Waldraud Meyer with a section from Wagner's Parsifal, Ensemble Musique Vivante performing Luciano Berrio's Labyrinthus 2, Kitka with Sirens from the Rosalca Cycle CD, and Screaming Jay Hawkins with I Put a Spell on You. More extensive playlist information can be found at voicebox-media.org. Steve, Sarah and Melissa, I know that all of you have worked with music beyond the world of metal yourselves. Steve, you sometimes perform with a cover band that does Queen songs. Exactly. Right. And Melissa, you come from a classical singing background and you work with all kinds of singers. And Sarah, you've worked with people who shout for a living, but aren't metal singers like (laughs) auctioneers, for (laughs) example. Um, I'd love to ask all of you, this is really, we're getting to the end of the show. So this is the last question I've got for you tonight. How can what we've learned about screaming on tonight's show be applied to other types of voice use?
4: I think what we've learned tonight is that, like Melissa said earlier, a voice is a voice. Mm -hmm. So learning how to manage the breath and airflow, the feelings of resonance and having awareness of how we're making our voice, whatever context we're doing it in, talking, shouting, cheerleading, auctioneering you know singing classical music or Mm -hmm. screaming in a metal band if we can if we have the self-awareness and the ability to monitor sort of how we're using our voice uh we can generally do it with with
0: little injury terrific do either the other two of you would like to add anything to that
1: i agree with that a hundred percent i agree with that Yeah, you you have to uh go into the mechanics of it and mm-hmm. and you can apply that to other things like she said cheerleading cheerleading and mm-hmm. is much my very first lesson singing lesson i remember the singing teacher saying and it wasn't it wasn't claudine it was somebody else i tried to take lessons for and she said it was like say hey and i said hey and she says no project it go hey mm-hmm. and i go hey and she's oh, you're singing right there try to find yeah, it down. I do so <laughs> it, 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 and it made sense to me
0: uh-huh yeah. melissa any parting words Well, you know, it's what what Steve said, you know, I I have them, you
2: know, go to the window and pretend like someone's stealing their bicycle and go, hey, and then I go to the piano and I I pick out the note and I ask them to hold that, hey, and all of
0: a sudden they're, you know, they go, oh. -hmm. You're singing. (laughs) This was much harder. Right. Now you're singing. It's a very natural thing. Uh, well, I think we've assaulted our eardrums enough for one evening. It's been fascinating to chat with you all about the art of screaming. And, and with that, I'd like to wish all my wonderful guests, Steve Souza, Melissa Cross and Sarah Schneider, a quiet and gentle good night. Thanks to all of you for joining me. Thank
1: you. Thanks for having us. <laughs>
0: thank you. So thank you. So, thank you. It's been really interesting. And- Nice to meet all of you. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. And this has been fun. This episode of Voicebox was generously underwritten by the American Speech Language Hearing Association, making effective communication a human right, accessible and achievable for all. Visit asher.org at asha.org and enter Voice Disorders into the homepage search engine for more information. Voicebox is an independently produced non-profit project recorded at the studios of KALW in San Francisco. The series producer is Seth Samuel and the web editor is Victoria Lim. Please support Voicebox. You can make an easy and safe donation by visiting voicebox-media.org or you can mail us a check. We're a non-profit project so all donations made to us are tax deductible. Find out more and send us your questions and comments via our website voicebox-media.org and don't forget you can also connect with us on Twitter and Facebook and if you're looking for me on Twitter my handle is at Chloe Veltman I'll play us out with a different take on the notion of a scream a more sensual and pleasurable one here's Usher with Scream have a songful week
2: Usher, baby yeah yeah it again and this time